You are now listening to The Secret Life of a Grad Student. I'm Megan. I'm Laura, and we are two grad students who want to share the untold stories of graduate students past and present. You are listening to The Secret Life of a Grad Student. This is Megan Garber. Today, we interview Ezna Echenevu, who did her grad work at NC State University. So, Ezna, how did you become interested in science? My interest in science started from very early in my childhood when I realized that I really liked mathematics. Um, I loved the fact that you could basically learn an equation and apply that to any problem that you needed to solve, and that it was basically the same regardless of whatever location or wherever you grew up. And this, uh, I guess, led me to where I am today, which has been an engineer because I'm very analytical and I love to apply principles that are often um, developed by underlying equations, et cetera. And I use those to apply them to to problem solving. So where are you from? Um, I guess I grew up in um, Nigeria, which is in West Africa. Mm -hmm. Um, So I lived in Nigeria for most of my childhood, um, starting from around two to about 16, which is when I left um, Nigeria. So basically all of my um, early education, elementary through high school was completed in Nigeria. I think I already started doing well in math already when I was in Nigeria. But then even when I transitioned to the United States, I found that um, that still was a constant that I had basically... Um, between two different cultures, that was definitely the constant thing. There were still different ways of people approaching problem solving, but what those underlying equations, those formulas, etc., those just stayed the same, and it didn't matter like who taught it. It was always the same thing. Mm-hmm. So, um, was there a teacher that like kind of stapled your interest in science, in math, um, or like were you just naturally good at it so it didn't matter who was teaching it i can't really put my finger on one particular teacher and i'm not gonna say that i was just naturally (laughs) good at it so i don't have a great answer to that question what i would say is that i did enjoy that the process of like problem solving Mm -hmm. i remember growing up and i just enjoyed solving problems i would be the person who would do extra homework because i just wanted to continue you know see how I could apply different um, the same equation to, to solve other problems. Mm-hmm. And eventually, I think what really helped me was the fact that um, I learned the actual method and not the actual um, solution itself. I think many people I talked to over time would tell me that, oh, the teacher changed this and I just couldn't, I didn't figure out how to solve that problem. I was like, well, you're not supposed to memorize the actual <laughs> solution. You're supposed to know how to do it so that you can apply it to another problem. And that for me was what was probably was unique. Was uh, was anyone in your family like also skilled in math or um, good with problem solving that influenced this? Um, not not specifically. I used to think my dad was good at math, but I'm not sure where I got that from. Um, I would say what do you that mean you're not sure. No, I, I used to think he was. I think I used to think I got it from my dad. But when I actually found out, like, no, I don't know where I got that from. It just like he was just generally smart, like because he had a PhD, so he was always really good at answering every question. Mm-hmm. Um, but it wasn't like he was particularly good at math. 
what I would say was significant in my childhood was that my parents um, made us study a lot. Um, and this is common in Nigeria. Like you do a lot of homework while you're in school and then you do after school, which is more work. And then you come home and you have a teacher who's waiting for you to teach you more. So it was just like, there was always school around me. Um, okay. So you said um, your dad was a PhD. What did he have his PhD in? His PhD was in economics. Economics, mm-hmm. okay. Would you say that there were any other like small influences on your gravitation toward math and science? Yeah, I would say that this might sound stupid, but identifying at an early age that I was good at something actually was a very good confidence booster. And mm-hmm. I, then I just realized that that was something I wanted to keep as my thing. And I just kept on working at it. It wasn't always that I was good at it, but it's just that I was willing to work hard because I realized that um, succeeding in, edu- in education is actually a way or a means for an individual to actually um, develop themselves in, in this world especially if you come from a basically no-name family and you're just like a no-name person, like you can actually be someone using what you know or what you've been able to achieve in life. How did you end up coming out to the U.S.? I I guess I should have said this earlier, but I was actually born here um, when my parents, my dad was here doing his PhD, which actually was in Berkeley as well. So um, I'm excited to be back in this area. I was fortunate to be able to come here, of course, because I had access um, being a U.S. citizen already, even though I didn't live in, a, in the U.S. at all. And then my dad specifically always said that uh, he believed that American education was the best, was superior to every other system. So he always said it every day. You're going to go back to the U.S. once you're um, an adult or whatever, and once you're done with high school. So as soon as I was done with high school, I did come here and immediately started at um, the University of Maryland. Did you know when you started at the University of Maryland what you were gonna study? No, I did not. <laughs> so that another long story, but I'll keep it short. Um, so while you I was- You don't have to keep it short, by oh, the way. Okay. <laughs> so I actually applied while I was in Nigeria to come to school here. And um, because we didn't have really internet access or really was a very um, diff- different way of applying, since I was international. So I had submitted this, my essays. I spent a lot of time writing these essays and I submitted them. Um, and when I got here, they said they lost my essays. For whatever reason, they said, well, we did accept you, but we don't have your essays on file. So it was like, okay, you have to go back and write these essays over again. Um, that's the only way we're gonna let you in to the university. So I remember that writing those essays were pretty difficult. <laughs> remember like uh, you know they ask you these questions about like life like your mm-hmm. career where do you want to be oh my god like, I have to go think about this so this time um, my mom took me to um, a library that was close mm-hmm. by I went there she left me there the whole day and when she came back she was like oh you're not done like I, <laughs> I didn't have an essay so we started talking about it and, I, and I tur- it turned out that what I had selected as my career path in the, initially was actually mm-hmm. not my choice um, and that I, I was having a lot of conflict internally about that. So I had initially said that I, was, I wanted to be a medical doctor in in Nigeria. And I think in anywhere around the world, being a doctor is considered the highest form of you know prestige in the form of <laughs> academic achievements. And since, as I did well in school, my parents were like, well, let's push her to the highest place, you know. I 
think the only reason I wanted to be a doctor is because I like children and I wanted to be a pediatrician. That was it. Oh. Yeah. So um, later, I then realized that I hated biology. Um, no offense to anyone. <laughs> I did it. not like bio. Um, in school, it, it became clear to me that I loved math a lot more. And I also li liked chemistry. And so I did what every um, young 16-year-old would do. I went online and I searched for math plus chemistry. <laughs> yes, and believe, you, believe it or not, what, what came up? Chemical engineering. That was um, the first option that came up. And um, yeah, that is how I selected my major. That seems a little stupid, but um, I do believe in fate and destiny all working together because... When I look back on it, like I can't imagine myself studying anything else. So what happens after you graduate from Maryland? Yeah, um, right before I was about to graduate from Maryland, I put in my application to a few graduate programs. Um, during my time in Maryland, I had started taking um, undergraduate research programs. I took a, a class, which is like a three credit class where you can work in a research lab. And I also had been trained after that with a professor in University of Maryland. So I had an idea that I liked research and I wanted to pursue it. Um, and then I also had also always wanted to be a teacher. Oh, I had started liking the idea of teaching. So that sort of came together towards me wanting to pursue my PhD. So I, I applied to a few schools. And during that time, I got accepted in two of them, visited two universities, and then I made my choice to one. Which school did you go to? I ended up going to North Carolina State University, um, which is in Raleigh, North Carolina. And you were still doing chemical engineering? Yes. I studied chemical engineering in both undergraduate and master's slash PhD, because that's eventually what we ended up getting there. By then, the program had split up into chemical and biomolecular engineering, because everyone was <laughs> like, we have to include bio now in our um, curriculum. Was that upsetting to you? Um, no, it wasn't actually. So I was lucky that I just graduated when they changed the whole curriculum. Literally mm -hmm. the year I graduated was when the, my previous university had changed their name to chemical and biomolecular. And then when I came on to NC State, they had already made that transition. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't too bad. I did notice that a lot of the students were all interested in bio for some reason. Like, we just want to do bio research. And I'm, I was wondering, hmm, okay, I think I'm in the wrong place. <laughs> And you still had an aversion to biology at the time, right? I'm, I'm just wondering. Um, yes. Um, so this whole aversion to bio, I think it's because, um, let's go back to the inherent nature of what I experienced in biology itself compared to math, which I love, right? Um, growing up, I felt like biology was all memorization. And I felt that um, I may be good at memorizing, but then... How is that a skill that I could actually translate into a work, like a job? Whereas in math, actually, I felt that I didn't need to memorize everything, but as long as I knew the formulas or I knew how to do something, that it could actually solve any problem, that I didn't have to actually memorize information. But I'm pretty sure that is not a good generalization of the field of bio, but that was what I experienced growing up, and that's why I had that aversion. We'll put a disclaimer on. <laughs> so today's topic, uh, which you already know, is the qualification exam. So what was the structure of your qualification exam? 
For my university, we had what was called proposition. So right when I came in, they actually had discarded the traditional qualification exams and they changed to a proposal writing process. So the idea was that they believe that a researcher or the skills that you need to actually succeed in research had everything to do with being able to develop a research program and not your ability to ingest or take in lots of information from all of your classes and regurgitate it out in, a, in an exam. So they literally had just changed it when I came in and my year was the first year to actually try this new method out, but it was called proposition. Mm -hmm. And so you had a whole course during the semester that was teaching you about the research proposal process, how to write a proposal, how to develop a research project. And it culminated at the end with a um, presentation where you literally wrote a report where it was similar to like a thesis. How long was the report? Like a thesis. <laughs> So, I mean, they're not expecting everything, right? There are no actual results. There is, it's just like a proposal type of report. Thank you. Had you taken any courses other than this one course to prep for it? For proposal writing, yeah. probably not. Um, I was lucky that I had research experience in the past while I was an undergrad. And I'd also taken a professional writing class while I was an undergrad as well. Um, but during that time, I actually had no direct experience or direct tutor, uh, tutoring or teaching in that area. But it was it was good because that was the purpose of that class. So it was mm -hmm. a whole semester worth of, the, of them teaching you how to do this. And then by the end, you were expected to bring out this um, output or this result, yeah. Was the proposal the research topic that you eventually ended up doing or was it something completely imagined? It was completely imagined and it had it had to actually be imagined. It, it, it was required that it was not your research topic. It, the whole purpose is that you have to be creative and choose something completely different. Most people ended up choosing things that were in parallel with their research area. For example, I, when I knew I wanted to do bioenergy research, so I did bioenergy related topic. Most of us had not even started research in our labs at that time, so we really didn't have anything to write about. Was there anything extra that you did to prep let me actually step back a little sure. bit and re re I, I just remembered something as I was talking. <laughs> no problem. So it's actually, I think, over the course of two semesters. So the first semester was this made up idea and the second semester was actually our real research idea. Okay. So the first semester we had an actual teacher who would take us through different parts of a proposal, etc. And it was a made up idea, but it still culminated in the report. And at the end, we had to present before a committee of professors and actually defend the idea. The second time by the second semester, this is also of your first year, you have already been assigned an advisor by now. So during the second semester, you're still taking this course, but now you're working one-on-one -on -one with your advisor to actually develop a proposal or an idea that is aligned with what you would do for the rest of your three or four years while you're there. And um, so this, it's, this second part is the actual qualifying exam. Mm -hmm. um, when you develop the idea, you, you also find a group of three or four researchers who will be your committee. And these people will be your committee for the rest of the time. And then it's, it's now to them that you also defend that idea. Did you know the people on your committee before presenting no. to them? No, I didn't know them. Um, so, I mean, I'm only a first year at this point. I don't know anyone, <laughs> so like, we're all new. Um, but you actually are the one that will approach them to ask them to be on your committee. So um, the requirement was that you would, you should have three professors from chemical engineering or your specific department. And you must have one person 
that the university would appoint as sort of like um, a fair or someone who is fair or who would be there to make sure that everything is fair. Was that person um, your advisor? No, this this person has to be outside of the department mm-hmm. and completely um, just just to be a kind of witness to make sure that there is no interdepartmental politics or stuff happening inside of the department that would actually prevent people from having an unbiased decision. Um, and of course, my advisor was the last person. So I think I ended up having four or five in total. So I chose people who had research groups that were similar to what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so a couple of the people I chose were also doing work in the bioenergy field. Um, the other person I chose was in an, um, a department that also had research interests that were aligned with what I did. Uh, before you were taking the exam and during your preparation, did you feel like you had any kind of support system? <laughs> um, and yes and no, I would say. Um, if you're, if you're, and what, this could be mm-hmm. like your advisor, your cohort, some friends. Right, right, right. So there was no formal support system. That's why I said no. There's not like a person I go to like, hey, I, I need help with this part of the proposal or so and so. There was not that structure. But my advisor worked one-on-one with me to develop this proposal. Of course, whatever I do is a reflection of him. So he has to make sure that I had, I'm like on, on spot, you know. So like he worked one-on-one with me to edit everything and to make sure that it was properly edited. The other support system that I had, which was informal but very useful, were my group of friends as well as my my actual research group that I ended up um, working in. So with both of those groups, I was able to present my my proposal to them and then have their feedback. Um, one provided me the technical side of the feedback, and the other group, I which is my group of friends, um, just provided that um, just support system just to um, uh, to be a sort of an outside witness, basically someone who doesn't know anything about what you're doing to be able to un- see if they actually understand what I'm saying. Because a lot of people get really focused on the technical language and they forget about speaking just to the general um, audience. Walk me through the day of the exam. So the second semester exam, the one where you have to present your research idea, the one that you're actually going to do, Mm -hmm. uh, the one that you prepared with your advisor uh, to that panel of professors. So walk me through that day, if you can remember it. Um, I can't say I remember the specific day. Um, it's not as clear to me as some other presentations that I've had. What I will remember is probably the week leading up to that. I do remember that a day or two before I had given a presentation with my group and I'd already practiced. I also had another um, rehearsal with my friends right the, the day before. That I do remember clearly. Um, <laughs> I don't remember clearly exactly the, the presentation itself. Um, I do remember the bad parts of the presentation because oh, yeah, I had. Oh tell me about that. <laughs> I had some. Um, I had an area where, like, there was a you know a little bit of back and forth with some of the committee members. What I would say is this: I probably was not as well versed with the technical language or the literature as I should have been. But then again, I only had been with that field for less than a semester so I don't know how much prepared I could have been and I I remember making a mistake on something I said and literally all the committee members it's okay if you get a little technical here oh yeah Yeah. sure sure 
Um, I remember making a mistake, um, which is basically like a kind of typo, but with words. It wasn't like I said something wrong, but I just like mix words around and um, I didn't catch it on time. So I kept on trying to defend myself. And then the committee members just literally jumped on me like, okay, explain, like literally one of the ladies, she was, she's a thermodynamics um, background person. And that was where I had the issue. And she literally wanted me to go back to defining like original thermodynamics phase diagrams. Like, can you draw a phase diagram? Like she wanted me to go back to the, to the basic stuff. And <laughs> the reality is that I could have done that. I should have known that as a chemical engineer, of course. But um, in that setting, I definitely was not prepared to do that because that wasn't what the presentation was about. Like it was about my proposal. Once it was over, what did you do? Um, so as soon as you were done, I think right at the end, you were informed if you pass or fail. <laughs> did, they, like, uh, did they shake your hand? Yes. Um, so like literally right there. So I think they'll tell you to leave the room. They're going to deliberate. So everyone leaves the room. Um, I think, by the way, I had also support people in the room. It wasn't just the committee. I okay. should say that. So once the presentation is done, you leave the room, you go maybe stand outside the door, then they deliberate. And then um, they tell you right there if you pass or failed. Or there was a third option, which was um, you passed conditionally which meant that you passed, but you had to change certain things in your report or your proposal. Mm -hmm. And you passed. Yes, I did. <laughs> yes, did I did. Who did you celebrate with when you were done? This was, um, this was common with my specific research group, but we always um, popped a bottle of champagne um, whenever we completed any like milestone. And then uh, we went um, out to pizza and um, my boss always took us to this one pizza joint we always went to right whenever anyone did any big um, presentation. Um, so this is of course our pilot episode of The Secret Life of a Grad Student um, and we're just wondering why you took the time to sit down with us today. Um, that's pretty much it. Why are you here? <laughs> well, um, I happened to talk with one of the uh, co-podcasters. Co I don't know what the right word is. The co-hosts um, happened to sit next to her in the office, and we um, we had a conversation about it. Um, but basically, I did also express to her that I love um, helping and giving back because I believe that um, I did a lot of things organically and really by trial and error, and that there should be um, a better outline out there or structure to help people figure things out. Maybe that would help um, improve a lot of the rates of um, the rates of uh, acceptance, the rates of performance in a lot of these type of exams. Um, because I know um, historically people fail their qualifying exams. So um, if there was some type of guidance that would have actually helped people, I think that um, that would actually change. Um, and then going back to the fact that I love teaching, so I see this as a, as a teaching form as well. So um, this for me, um, it's just a way of giving back. Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of The Secret Life of a Grad Student. You can catch our next episode where we interview Blake Simmons on his experience through grad school and through the qualifying exam. 